You're listening to the Contract Heroes Podcast, your one-stop shop for all things contract management. And now here are your hosts, Mark and Pepe. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Contract Heroes. Well, we're not the heroes. Our guests are. Uh, Today, we've got a great conversation for you. Jim Chang, the founder of My Legal Einstein, is joining us. Jim has been in the AI and contract management space for quite some time. Uh, Before I flip things over to Pepe to give you a little bit more about what we're going to be chatting about today, I wanted to flip things over to Jim so he can give you uh, a quick background on his history. Uh, Jim, thanks for joining us, and uh, we're really excited for this, this chat. Yeah, pleasure to talk to you today. So uh, let me just give you a sense of what my background is um, in the CLM space. First of all, I'm for the AI side of things, right? So the way I think about this market, the way I think about contracts is really in terms of how AI really helps the space. So my background is actually quite technical. Uh, before this, before starting my device, I actually headed up the AI engineering for Assertus as well as Aptus, which is a kind of big players in the CLM space. So I know a lot about it, um, but I think that a lot of our discussion as well as our kind of investigation moving forward is really how AI transforms how people work in terms of, in terms of the contract space. So I'm looking forward to talking to you further. Awesome. So I think there's a lot of things that we want to discuss with you, James, uh, taking advantage of all of your experience, because in, with 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 some of, of, of our previous guests, we've been talking about AI and I mean, how helpful, how helpful it is, but it's still like a lot of time consuming, right? Especially if you want to implement it inside a, uh, inside an organization. But uh, we've seen how uh, your software works and I, and I, and I really want to go, uh, in there and there's no implementation time there. I mean, this, this is something that you can start working on it. And I think mm-hmm. that besides talking about CLM and automation process, I think, uh, your solution will be like a very good complement on how we can interact with contracts inside your organization. So before we jump in and start talking about the details, on uh, how my legal Einstein works. Can you uh, give us a brief uh, on why AI is such a big boss in the legal tech space, especially on the contract management? Well, I can, I can tell you, like, I think part of the reason we started My Legal Einstein is because I've seen all of the failures in the CLM space, right? Uh, in terms of long implementation cycles, um, not getting the traction you actually want from an organization. Uh, getting lost in implementation time, right? Not being able to scale up to address the needs of an entire enterprise. These are very, very common problems. If you actually hear how people have ex- been experiencing CLM systems, these are kind of the most common issues that people address. Now, on the other side of things, AI. AI is one of those things that have been hyped throughout the entire, at least the past 10 years time, time space. And it goes back, even back before then, when you actually see all these sci-fi movies about machines actually being able to act human and being able to help you in a lot of different ways. What's different now, however, is basically in the past 10 years, the AI research, the AI, uh, the transformative research has actually uh, been, been, been able to demonstrate AI is incredibly much more functional than it was even 10 years ago, and definitely far better than five years ago, right? The reason why my legal Einstein makes sense is because we are kind of pushing the envelope of what's possible in terms of applying AI to addressing contracts. Now, that's very different than basically saying, thinking a very common, uh, um, a common misconception about how AI applies in the contract spaces somehow the AI is going to be like an attorney that acts on your behalf. 
right? Kind of like a intelligent agent, um, almost like a paralegal that actually kind of gives you predictions and tells you what to do. We don't think about it in those terms. We talk about AI in terms of augmenting how attorneys and people who review contracts can actually do their work more efficiently with much higher levels of compliance. And that's how we kind of try to phrase, phrase AI. Right. I think like a lot of people, when they think about AI applied into any kind of industry, they think about IBM Watson, right? Like some kind of mm-hmm. robot that you can just ask a question. Hey, can you draft me a contract or what's your opinion on this case or 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 I don't know. I mean, there's a misconception on what AI really is and how we can use it in our day-to-day work, right? So Jim, what what role does AI play when it comes to uh, contract management tools? Well, there's a whole range of areas, right? For example, AI is actually very good at things like being able to dive deep into a contract. Right. Let's say you actually have a 200-page contract, sometimes 300-page contract, and that's actually very common in just common law jurisdictions. Right. So you see very, very long contracts, and just imagine you compare that with kind of our current attention span deficit issues. Right. Where you basically can only concentrate on two or three sentences at the same time. How can we actually expect to be able to negotiate these very long, complex documents if we aren't able to focus on those types of areas? And this is actually an area where AI is perfectly suited because it's really actually augmenting the attorney or the contract reviewer's uh, abilities to be able to understand the entire context of the contract, to be able to negotiate that effectively. As well as things like, for example, comparing one contract clause and one contract term to a knowledge base that's actually in your playbooks, that's in other contracts you have negotiated. And you really want to actually have that information available very, very commonly. And then the third area, which we have very much explored on, is basically the idea that when you're talking about contracts and talking about collaboration across a global world, okay, with multiple jurisdictions, multiple court jurisdictions, as well as language, okay, what we've been able to demonstrate is that we can actually deliver AI that understands contracts in many different languages, including the major European languages as well as the Asian languages. How often is the case that a company is basically hindered by the fact that the paper that is sent to them is basically written in a French language, right? And you need to go find a French attorney to pay. And that actually always slows down the pace of business as well as pace of contract execution as well. So these are kind of fundamental problems that from an AI standpoint, we kind of introduced our Miley Weinstein solution to actually address. And, and Jim, I think, you know, the, the second point you made there around the, the faster reviews. So, you know, it's interesting because uh, I think we've seen a trend that that in-house teams are starting to get bigger. Uh, companies are starting to invest in their internal resources and mm-hmm. and they don't they don't want to use outside counsel as much. So, you know, obviously with outside counsel, usually it's built on an hourly rate. But when you have somebody that's on your in-house team, you really want to make sure that they're working on um, things that are their highest value. And in contract review, if you could speed that up, I think that brings a ton of value to these organizations so that one, they don't have to rely on outside counsel. They're not charging, getting charged a, a absorbent amount of money to review these contracts. And they're mm-hmm. allowing their internal team to, to make sure that they're focused on probably things that are a little bit higher priority. Yeah, I completely agree. I mean, one, one of the biggest areas of adding value through AI is basically just helping double check the human's work, right? I mean, how often can we actually say, that you know, attorneys can sometimes forget certain language that they should have included in the contract. 
might have added some things that actually contradict other areas of the contract. This is actually a very, very common problem. And what we've seen is that even when someone has not has no experience with AI, okay, has no background in AI, they can actually use an application. And that application can at least help them guide their own review process of their contract to figure out what they need to change. Right. And those are basically areas where we're talking not about AI being an intelligent agent to remind someone. Nobody really likes to be nagged about what they need, need to do, but instead really about augmenting the human's intelligence or the ability for them to do work that they've never been able to do before. Yeah. And, and you know, we're going to get into this as we continue the conversation here. I don't want to jump around too much, but mm-hmm. I, I think that that's definitely something that um, if you are out there and you're searching for a CLM tool, a contract management tool, anything legal tech, and and you know you're being drawn to to all this buzz in AI. You you really need to to one to understand what type of value is it going to bring to your organization, and w- what's important to you before you go out there and you start to talk to uh, all these vendors and publishers, because a, a lot of these organizations are defining AI in different ways and they do different things. Um, so it really depends on on what you're looking for. What do you want out of a solution, and and what's important before you um, go out there and talk to folks? Because I think it can really muddy the waters. Yeah, I, I think it actually adds a lot of frustration to the space as well. I mean, I, I think because AI is so hyped that practically every company says that you do some element AI. But if you kind of scratch under the covers, you probably realize that ninety five percent of them are just doing some very simple rules based processing or some type of very simple calculations, or even just like simple regex, where you're actually just comparing text between two documents. That's not AI. That's not even close to AI. That, that's technology that's been around for many, many years. What we're talking about is really the ability for these very, very complex algorithms to be able to understand contracts, understand legal words in the contract setting, so that they can get you help guide the attorneys to what they should actually look and review it, right? Because it's a very challenging problem when you're talking about long, long contracts. Right. It makes a lot of sense, especially you know, during these days, right? I mean, um, every legal team in Sanar or organization, they're like not as big as a company can. I mean, they don't grow as fast as any other department inside a company, right? I mean, mm-hmm. we can see that the sales or the procurement team can grow 300 times uh, from one year to, to, to the next one, while the legal team just grows for one or two more lawyers, right? So they try to do a lot of things with less. And one of the things that goes inside the contract management process, I mean, besides the contract request and all these very standard processes, right? Something that goes in the middle, which is the contract ne- negotiation and the and the analysis mm-hmm. of your contract, especially when you're using third-party papers, right? Because um, you were talking about documents with 200 or 300 pages. I mean, that's mm-hmm. okay if the contracts are well-organized or uh, classified, mm-hmm. right? But in, I would say, more than half of, of the times, you can see some terms such as termination that are not always inside the termination clause, but they are spread along the whole document. And mm-hmm. having an eye to identify all those terms, I mean, this is something that, I mean, it can take hours or even days just to analyze a document that big, right? But when, when, when you can use um, uh, AI to help you to analyze those documents and try to identify those red flags or 
uh, risky clauses that you need to address either if you're a, a, a law firm for a, for mm-hmm. a customer or if you're inside a council working inside a company, this kind of tools is going to help you to um, uh, to save a lot of time there, right? Yeah, I, I completely agree with you. Now, now keep it quiet. Like we, we're constantly bombarded by interruptions all day long, right? So the way that people review contracts is literally just start reading it from the very beginning. And they get interrupted by meetings. They get interrupted by uh, other things that they actually have to do in their e- email box. That's just human. That Those are things that are constantly happening. And you can't really expect someone to actually dedicate four hours of uninterrupted uh, attention to be able to read a 200-page contract okay, and be able to understand everything. It's just not possible. So we, what we think about is basically saying, okay, let's try to uh, help the attorney to be able to navigate to areas of the contract they need to look, look, look at. Let's say they actually just wanted to kind of do a deep dive on in corporate indemnification. Okay, we can actually do that just by just simple navigation. A lot of times, these are things that are just fundamental to how they choose to actually navigate these long contracts. They want to be able to do it. And once they actually start using an application like ours, it's, it's absolutely, we gear it to be as intuitive as possible. Someone who's never flirted of my legal eyes, I should actually get up to speed quickly. So what, one of the biggest frustrations, and I have been in this part of this industry for, for a while now, is that I don't know why people are patient enough to think that they have a problem today and they could actually have a vendor come in and after maybe a year and a year and a half, they can expect the result, right? That requires a lot of patience. And I can understand that that's kind of a lot of the most common technology uh, deployment cycles. But we don't want that. Nobody wants that. The customer doesn't want that either, right? They want to be able to demonstrate value quickly. And they want to understand and be able to demonstrate to an end user who is actually reviewing contracts, for example, a, a clear time to value in practically immediately, right? So we are partnered with companies like Rating Court, which is actually trying to be the app store of legal tech. And it simplifies a lot of the deployment cycles simply because as opposed to waiting a year, we're talking about as simple as push a button and it automatically deploys an entire infrastructure that's able to support thousands of users at the push of a button. This is actually how technology should be deployed, right? As soon as somebody experiences that, they're like, of course this makes sense, right? Nobody really wants to wait a year to to be able to implement and get value. So these are kind of things that we think about as basically transformative, disruptive approaches at actually addressing legal tech. Yeah, and, and I think, you know, we've seen that obviously over the, the past 10 years. I mean, in my sales career, um, mm-hmm. the the arsenal, the, the treasure chest that salespeople go to, to be able to pull a piece of software out that's actually going to help them in their day to day. In a lot of these applications, you know, there isn't there is obviously different time to value when you consider each of these different applications, each different type of application. But mm-hmm. I think that's why we always stress when you're I mean, if you're implementing any type of, of legal tech or even technology for that matter, that that you do take a phased approach, right? Don't try to do everything at once. You want to make sure that you can keep your people excited, those end users that are going to be using these types of applications, make sure that they are able to see progress, they're able to start using the tool you know, at least within the first couple of months so that they, they get excited about what they're doing. You can get keep user adoption high and, and they actually see that there is value to changing, um, especially in, in 
the legal space. I mean, you know, lawyers are, are, I think this is a space that we're just now seeing technology really start to play a role. Um, so getting them out of their, the ways that they've been using for, for years now, um, it, it can be tough and, and you need to be able to show that there is value to, to changing, that they're going to get their time back. They're going to get uh, more value out of their day. They're going to get things done faster. They can delegate easier. So I think these are all things that need to be taken into account. Like you said, when one, you're out there looking for technology to help, um, but two, also making sure that the time to value is something that um, at the very least there's a roadmap for, but the sooner, the better. The sooner, the better. I mean, we're, we're, we're in an instant gratification age, right? People, people think about the things in those terms. So always the sooner, the better. Right. And I'm curious, Jim, you, uh, when we were talking about the role of AI in the contract management process, you mm -hmm. said that it can help whenever you have a, a playbook, right? With your clauses. But this is something that we've seen with, with some other customers, right? That not many have a playbook, right? And sometimes they just have a, like a misconception on how a playbook can help a company uh, on different kind of situations, right? So how how have you seen or any, or can, can you give us a couple of recommendations on what a company should look for when they're starting to draft a playbook and how that playbook interacts with an AI platform such as yours? Yeah, sure, sure. So first of all, in terms of this terminology, right? I've heard the concept of playbooks multiple times, but when you actually talk about playbooks, it's almost like a a, a term that the tech vendors have actually invented, but end users may not be fully understanding what that term means. What we talk about in terms of playbooks is really just your your knowledge base, right? All of the information that's institutionalized within the organization, you actually want to be able to have that readily available for the next contract you're reviewing. And the reason why is because, first of all, the playbooks may, if you actually kind of structure it correctly, you typically have a very clear set of things that every attorney should actually look for when they're looking at, for example, determination clauses and indemnification. And it could be specific to the type of contract you're talking about, or it could be specific to the jurisdictions you're actually talking about. So part of the approach that we actually make within playbooks is first that they should actually be readily available and also very Um, very flexible in terms of structure, right? A playbook can actually contain a set of rules or can contain different types of clause libraries, depending on what, you, what you're looking for. For the end user, what's kind of geared towards is basically the playbook should contain the most critical information that an attorney needs to see side by side with the thing that they're actually looking at, right? So they can make a clear distinction, okay, this is what the playbook says, this is what I'm looking at. And so they can make that direct correlation about what, what they should actually change, what they should actually redline and such. Um, the other area is basically you actually want to structure playbooks so that it addresses different types of requirements. So for example, you can actually have a playbook about data security. You can actually have a playbook specific on a geography, like for example, if your jurisdiction or you're doing business in a specific geography like China or such, or specific types of goods you're actually talking about. And this is actually specific to that type of contracting to do it. The other aspect that's really critical of playbooks, and we see this all the time, okay, is that you implement a playbook, and you actually, if they're in the CLM space, you kind of implement things like contract templates. And how incredibly frustrating it is that once you implement something, you spend maybe a year putting together the templates together, right? You merge all the templates, you merge together the playbooks, and then as soon as you roll it out, there's a major legislation change, okay? You need to go change a whole bunch of things. And then you 
realize it may take, depending on how it's implemented, it may take another two months to actually roll up an, out, up an update to the playbooks and templates. And I'm like, why? That makes very little sense, right? It should be a process that legal is constantly able to iterate on, right, in terms of what exactly is the per- appropriate uh, best practices for organizations, as well as what exactly is the, should be the most up-to-date contract templates. And these are things you actually should be able to make changes if you're a legal staff and you own that specific document, that you should actually be able to make it in a change in about five minutes or so, or 10 minutes, right? It should be, and that should actually be shared across the organization. And that's what we're actually talking about. It's really allowing business to be much more agile um, in terms of basically establishing the best practices, but at the same time, be reactive enough to be able to change at the right times to figure out what what other uh, terms that make make the most sense for an organization, right? Yeah, yeah, and I I think I mean it's important, right? It's important when you're out there choosing a vendor that that you do have that flexibility. You know, one obviously, I mean, there needs to be some type of training involved. And well, I guess at the very least, you need to make sure that the application that you're moving forward with has the the ease of use to allow you, you know, the, as the end user or or as a you know, what we like to call power user of a system uh, to make those changes on the fly, right? You, you don't want to have to be running back to a vendor or, or a partner or something every single time you want to edit a template or edit a clause uh, or edit a workflow. You know, that's that's not something that at this day and age really should be happening anymore. Um, but, and, and also, right, I mean, that plays a big part in, in user adoption. Um, and, and, you know, Jim, another um, big I think playing in the AI space right now or, or buzz in the, in, in contract management is the, the ingestion of, of legacy documents. Um, mm-hmm. and, and a lot of organizations out there are um, telling their, their prospects or their future customers that, Hey, yeah, we can get this done with AI. It's a super straightforward process. We can adjust everything. All you have to do is send us the contracts and we'll get them up and running. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and, and, We've been in the space long enough to know that that's really, really not the case. <laughs> yes, um, there there is still a lot of heavy lifting that probably goes on behind the scenes. Uh, you know, we like to be a little bit mm-hmm. more up, up front with our customers and tell them no, that's that's not really how that works. It might be what you're paying for, um, but but that's not the case. I mean, how did how did how do you think we got to this this place where um, organizations are are I mean, for lack of a better term, lying to to their customers <laughs> um, and, and saying that this is all done with AI when it, it's really not. You know, that's a great question. I'm kind of glad that you use that word as well. Now, keep in mind, actually, I, I'm based on Silicon, Silicon Valley, right? One of the greatest things about Silicon Valley is that everybody can actually start companies because they believe in certain ideas and they can be able to flush out these types of things. But on the flip side, we're actually also guilty of kind of these companies like Theranos, which actually uh, is famous for misrepresenting all their uh, or their the blood technology, blood diagnostic technology, as well as a whole lot of like hype things that are realistic or completely unrealistic. And that's a problem. And I think that's kind of a cultural problem. And I could totally understand why and we get to this point where Attorneys, when they think about technology uh, and they they think about consuming technology, they're very skeptical. And we see it all the time in the sales cycle. It's kind of like, you know, every salesperson will tell them anything they they can to try to get the deal closed. And they're very, very educated buyers, so they they don't believe that. So in terms of kind of how we approach the market, 
we don't believe in any slides, okay? We don't believe in any of that because it kind of suggests that we're going to be able to do something in the future, which we don't, can't really guarantee, especially the AI side, right? AI algorithms, um, unless it's there, unless it's actually able to be performant in a whole range of applications, and we need to do extensive testing internally to be able to, to certify that, we're not going to tell anybody about how that capability, right? And that whole conversation that you had about, like, you know, that Mark was talking about, you just put a whole bunch of contracts in and then you sprinkle some magic AI dust on top of it and it'll reconcile all of your problems is so mythical, okay, that I'm not actually surprised that anyone even would believe something like that, right? Um, and it's clear, it's, it's not only heavy lifting, it's basically usually outsourced labor that actually allows you to kind of go sort through all these types of things and it's not AI, right? And that's kind of the, the reality of it. So I think there's a, as a tech company in this space, one of the things we struggle with all the time is just to understand that our buyers have been burned so many times, okay? So there's a number of different approaches that we actually address this way. First of all, anybody could actually just go try out Miley Weinstein today, uh, sign up for an online subscription, um, et cetera, get working with the product, try our algorithms out, and that's completely free for 30 days, right? You can actually try it out at any time. And that allows them to basically say, okay, that means they actually have real technology here, okay? Which is kind of the first step, right? That's the first step in terms of basically demonstrating the technology is real. The second thing, and I'm sure that you guys, you, you guys have talked about this all the time in terms of the cultural aspects of um, in-house legal basically adopting technology. And it's a cultural aspect about how um, attorneys who are naturally risk adverse, because that's kind of the nature of their roles, um, it's always safer to do nothing, right? And that, and that's kind of the, the mindset. And what we've been able to do is bridge the gap substantially. And here's a couple of ways that we do that. First of all, our user training is conducted by attorneys. Okay. So one of the biggest friction points is that when you have technical trainers who know the product well, explain it to attorneys and try to explain to attorneys how to use the technology, that is completely lost. Instead, we actually, every single one of our training staff are actually licensed attorneys that actually explain how the technology has worked, helped with them address some of their contract review issues, right? A completely different approach. And it's actually much more, um, much more amenable to kind of the, um, to the audience we're actually talking about. That's the, that's the one thing. The second thing is that Whenever you try to schedule trade, things like user trade, one of the things you realize is that it's almost impossible to get three or four attorneys in the same room because they do not have time, especially in-house legal. But their, their current ways of actually um, addressing their workload is to work harder. <laughs> okay, So that is actually what we're, what we're talking about. So trying to get scheduled for training is practically a non-starter. So instead of that, on our website, you guys just go click on the learning center. There's these three to five minute videos that tells you everything that how our product works. And many attorneys basically say, well, shoot, how do I do this? I don't remember. I get on the website, click on it, look at the three to five minute video, and they go, oh, I got it. I got it. Right. And that allows them to get up to speed with the product. Right. Nothing's worse than actually having paying for a product that no one could get it, no one can use. And no one can actually schedule training to actually learn how to use, right? That's the worst. And you see this all the time. Yeah. 
Yeah, I agree. And uh, I think it's important that, again, the organizations that you work with, like you said, Jim, are, are you have a knowledge base that you can go to. You can do some self-paced training. You can watch a couple of videos, right? I mean, obviously, that only for some of the more complex products only gets you so far, but but at least that's there and, and allows you to to leverage that um, if, you know, like you said, you're, you're absolutely slammed. Uh, and hopefully when they are doing the live training sessions, those are being recorded and you're able to ask questions to, to the organizations that you're working with, because I mean, that, that stuff is all extremely, extremely key in, in, you know, what we've been talking about this whole time, which is at the end of the day, user adoption. Mm-hmm. Um, so Jim, final, final question. Um, and, and I know that we touched on this a little bit, but I mean, what do you think the future holds for, for AI and the legal tech and the legal ops space? I think that, well, I just, just speaking from uh, my recent experience at Clock, right, um, and talking to a lot of legal ops folks, talking to a lot of vendors, I think that now that we're kind of in a kind of post-COVID traction period, I think there's going to be a reevaluation of certain, certain things about what what certain types of technology is kind of geared towards addressing, right? Um, and that's kind of the challenges, right? Because we know that there's a lot of interest in terms of this contract management space. But at the same time, I think companies like Coho has actually been great in terms of basically helping buyers understand what's technology actually there and what problems you're actually trying to solve and make kind of avoid that uh, product future uh, current requirements mismatch that we see on an ongoing basis, right? Um, so those are kind of things that's absolutely fundamental in terms of kind of moving forward. I think that's going to be a re-examination of kind of the existing existing flows, uh, existing technologies, and existing business problems we're actually coming to have to address. The other area is that I am very bullish on that AI, right? I mean, as you can understand, and actually probably that, that's part of why I'm, I, uh, uh, you know, helped find, found my legal Einstein. Because when you talk about technology, right? Technology, first of all, in, in the legal field, it's there's not a huge amount of technology adoption at this point. And I could say that from my experience with artificial intelligence, it is a game changer in a whole range of areas, right? Because um, you can do far more. You can do things like, okay, like for example, you can negotiate a contract in a language that you don't understand. Okay, how cool is that? <laughs> right? That is a cool concept. And to be able to do that intelligent, that's a very, very powerful concept. That's something that actually gets people excited about, about things on the AI side. So you can see the obvious uh, business applications for that. So you can see much more um, much more adoption of artificial intelligence. But at the same time, you can also hope that buyers can understand what the difference between AI vaporware um, and what really is possible in AI. One of the things we do on an ongoing basis, we do not hype AI. We just basically kind of demonstrate its capabilities because one of the things we don't know is how how quickly the AI advancements will happen, right? So that whole kind of concept of magic dust on historical contracts, that's a problem that everybody tries to kind of be able to address, but the technology is not ready, right? It's just not ready to address that. So no matter how many people could say, yeah, we have this magic dust, it's just not realistic, right? So you could see a lot of the shaking out of the industry associated with, with those types of things. But yeah. without a doubt, I mean, AI is really the future of contract contract management. It's really just trying to figure out how. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and I think, you know, like you said, I, I think that there will be a shakedown in the industry. I think that people are 
buyers are getting smarter. Um, right. Not, not, thank you for the plug. Working with companies like us to actually decipher who who's real out there and 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 who's not, and what functionality is is going to be important to these organizations mm-hmm. moving forward. But um, you know, I, I think it's exciting, and and there is so many so many companies out there in this legal tech space now. It's just exploded over the past couple of years, and um, I, I think that's great for growth and innovation. So it's exciting to see where we're going. Um, and, and Jim, I, I think that Miley Lonstein is is you know, bringing a ton of value for for uh, a lot of organizations out there. So, and, and if folks want to learn more about My Legal Einstein or, or connect with you, um, where's the best place to do that? Uh, just check out our website. Um, one of the things that's the best, the easiest way is that we make it as easy as possible to go register, try out our products, right? Try out our algorithms, such. And one of the things we also don't don't believe is we don't really kind of pester you with a whole bunch of emails after you do that too. So. Um, we know that people's time is very, very valuable. So just evaluate technology. And if it makes sense, just kind of subscribe or basically pay for an enterprise license and things like that. So Awesome. Awesome. And that website, everybody, is mylegaleinstein.com. Uh, Jim, we, we really want to thank you for joining us. This has been a, a great conversation. Hopefully we don't ruffle too many feathers out there with uh, with some of our, um, I guess you can call them opinions. Um, but, <laughs> but thanks for joining us. And uh, we'll see everybody back here for the next episode of Contract Heroes. Fantastic. Thank you, Mark. Thank you, Pippin.